First things first, Nerdist would love for you to take a five-minute survey to help us find advertisers. Advertisers are good for me. So go to podsurvey.com slash writers, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash writers, W-R-I-T-E-R-S, to do this survey. Seriously, it takes five minutes, and when you're finished, you can enter a monthly drawing to win a $100 Amazon gift card. So go do that. Uh, it's for advertisers who support the show that keep it free for you. Uh, they just want to know a little bit about your listening interests and stuff like that. Um, go to podsurvey.com slash writers. Five minutes, completely anonymous, and you can win a $100 gift card. So go check that out. Now entering Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the host and creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel, which you are currently listening to. I'm also a TV writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and currently for uh, the DreamWorks Netflix program Puss in Boots. Check it out. It's now available. I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio that is now a podcast right here on the Nerdist Network every week. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more details. If you enjoy the Nerdist Writers Panel, please leave a review on iTunes and let us know who you want to see on this program by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds, and by liking this show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Panel. Now, here's a theme song. Or an ad. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Cool. We're doing it. Uh, you comfortable? I'm great. Great. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Braga is here. Finally, as I was t- saying to you, uh, your name came up a whole lot uh, on this podcast uh, as I was doing these interviews, especially the first couple of years, both from fans who wanted to hear from you, um, but also because I think y- y- you and people you worked with gave so many writers working now their first break. Uh, and we'll talk about the stuff you're doing now. We'll talk about Salem. We'll talk about Cosmos. We'll talk about all this other stuff. But I want to start, which I don't usually do, back in, I guess, the beginning of your career. Uh, is it true you started as an intern? Yes. On Star Trek? I did. In 19, uh, it's funny. It, it is literally almost to the day. 25 years ago. Wow. Happy almost anniversary. Uh, that I started my internship. Uh, and which, which iteration was this? Uh, start, it was uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay. And it was in between seasons three and four. So it was a, a, a Best of Both Worlds had just aired the Borg ep- episode. And the show was, was just really starting to take off. Mm-hmm. And um, I, the Academy of TV Arts and Sciences does an amazing internship program every year okay. in, tw- in television in 26 different categories from screenwriting to costume to casting. It's, if anyone's listening who's in school, mm-hmm. in, in film school, it is an amazing internship. It's open to anybody. Oh, interesting. So I didn't realize uh, that it's even still in existence. It's That's not, really cool. not only the interns... You'd, the success rate of these interns mm-hmm. is amazing, and I've taken on several of my own. You know, sure. one of the, they've all gone on to great success. It's uh, it's it's something worth looking into if you if you're looking for a way into the business. They place you on real shows. It's mm-hmm. paid. That's great. So I was put on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Michael mm-hmm. Pillar, um, who's may he rest in peace. 
was my mentor. Yeah, we, we've heard a lot about him, too. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems an incredible guy. He was amazing, and he saw something in me and, and, and brought me in, and I had an eight-week internship. There were, I was at the right place at the right time mm-hmm. with the right people. Um, the writing staff had just been cleansed hmm. um, by, by Michael and, and Rick. Um, I don't. I wasn't privy to the reasons, or mm-hmm. but all I know is the only writer there was Ron Moore. <laughs> My God. Like the only guy left standing was Ron Moore, and he had just started. Mm-hmm. And that's where Ron and I became friends. Mm-hmm. We, we were just these two twenty-five-year-old dudes who were in this amazing position. And um, Michael put together the writing staff of core writers who would be with the franchise for many, many years to yeah, come. This is incredible. Let me let me step back for a second and I apologize I'm gonna interrupt you a whole lot. No one and if I go dig deeper feel free to interrupt anytime. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so you were you were in your mid twenties. Were you still a student? Is that how this internship happened or um, what, what were you doing at the time? I was a I was in film school. Okay. Uh, at UC Santa Cruz. Okay. Which had a, at the time a very small but excellent mm-hmm. program. It's quite large now, um, and I had applied for the internship when I was a junior. I didn't get. I was a finalist, but I didn't get it. And then I, I knew it was good, so I applied again. Um, my senior year, I had, had no idea. I had no money, no car, nowhere to live. Oh my God. Uh, but I got this internship, and um, shacked up with my college buddy Stephen Marioni, who would go on to win. Academy Awards for his editing. He's a, one of the best editors in town. Um, and, uh, and, and I hit L.A. and I, I, we got a, a shitty apartment together <laughs> and with one bedroom. And, you know, That's I started the internship. But, you know, it's funny. When I started that internship that day, mm-hmm. 25 years ago, I think this coming Monday, <laughs> I never would have predicted that 17 years later... I would be turning the lights off hmm. on the television franchise, at least for the time being. Yeah. Um, so it was a wild ride. That's really incredible. Were you? What, what were you as a writer at that time? I mean, you're going to film school. Did you know you wanted to write? Was it also directing? Was it? You know, I wanted to you see yourself doing. Like most film students, I wanted to write and direct movies. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the auteur. Mm-hmm. And uh, television at that time, although I watched plenty of TV growing up, was uh, was uh, beneath mm-hmm. beneath the true filmmaker. You yeah. know, it was not something that I aspired to do. Yeah. Um, it never really occurred to me. Even when I applied for this internship, I pretended to have an interest in, in television <laughs> to get the internship. That's really funny. And I had no idea. I knew how films were made. I really didn't know how TV was made at all. And I realized my first week there that something amazing was happening. It mm-hmm. was a really good television. It's, Next Gen was a great show. I was mm-hmm. so lucky to get that. But the process of making TV and the quickness, um, Michael Piller as a showrunner, how he was, I couldn't imagine how he could come up with so many ideas so quickly and get episodes written so quickly. It seemed like magic to me. Mm-hmm. It was beyond my grasp, for sure. And, you know, I I, it, I did get a script assignment after the first eight weeks, which I wrote. Oh, wow. Uh, Ron and I wrote 
my first episode I co-wrote with Ron, so I had Ron as a partner, and he had written a couple already. But it was a it was a mysterious thing writing for TV, and I'm really, really? I, by the way, TV turned out to be this incredible medium, you know. Oh, absolutely, um, and, and and it seemed like there were shows like Next Generation back then, but they were just they were blips. And oh, I think genre didn't TV realize. didn't exist. Oh, absolutely, it was not. It was the next gen, right? Was kind of alone out there. Mm-hmm. It was the only science fiction show yeah. out there for a very long time. But um, it was also, I remember even, I think I th- it was a little young for it. Um, but I remember even at the time, people pointing to this and saying, "This is a quality show." I heard the same thing. I yeah. tuned in uh, in was it eighty seven for the pilot? Yeah, and I was just and I watched a couple episodes and I was just like, "This isn't." That great, or it was not, <laughs> certainly wasn't for me. Yeah, but then you would hear people would say, "I remember at UC Santa Cruz, you know, you really should check Next Generation out. It, it got, it's getting really good." Huh. And um, and I remember watching that Bork episode right before my internship, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Holy, holy shit! This 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 is a really good show." Huh. And Sorry. and after that, the show just really. Was Interesting. So, so this whole new room was brought in. What were your responsibilities as an intern? Did you get to spend time in that room? I was in the room the on? entire time. Okay. Uh, I, my responsibilities were, as we were breaking out stories on a dry erase board, I would write. Okay. So it was a kind of a writer's assistant. What they were saying. It was, it was a writer's assistant gig, though I didn't know right. it at the time. That's fine. But I got to know Jerry Taylor and Joe Minoski and mm-hmm. Ron Moore. Uh, um, I would become very good friends with Rick Berman. You know, when people ask for career advice, <laughs> the, one, the most important thing I think I can possibly share from my own experience is you can't do it alone. <laughs> D- uh, there's Especially for writers, and, yeah. and there's something where you think writing is a solitary process. You will not succeed if you don't have someone taking an interest in you. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky that I had people who took an interest in me and saw some talent and helped cultivate it. And um, the the thing that kind of blew my mind the most about writing for TV was the staff. Sure. That you didn't have to bang your head against the wall. Yeah. You could write a script with someone. You it wasn't it was you could figure out stories together. You, it's you kind know, of incredible. It's it, what sets TV apart from other. And it's why TV it's so good. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised more movies aren't written Absolutely. that way. I think some are, especially yeah. comedies. But um, what a revelation! Mm-hmm. And and working with excellent writers makes my work better. Absolutely. So it was. It was. Um, yeah. So the, the, those first eight weeks must have been this incredible crash course. It was insane. Um, Everything. My yeah. entire career for the for years to come fell into place in that eight weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, were you, did you feel free to speak up in the room? Yes, but I, I rarely did uh-huh. because, you know, you have your typical terror of saying something stupid. <laughs> you know, you're trying to make a good impression. Yeah. But the fact is I just didn't try. I just listened. Mm-hmm. You know, again, as I said, I, I was stepping into an alien universe. Mm. Like I, I did not understand anything about what the fuck these guys were doing. <laughs> so um, I just needed to, to watch. Yeah. So what how was that room run? How did Pillar run a room? Uh, Pillar was intensely communal. Um, he wanted writer the entire writing staff present for every story break, even if you were writing a script. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, 
he wanted every writer present for every story pitch from from a freelance writer. Mm -hmm. We were expected to attend everything. Now, I don't run shows that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And when someone's on a script, you go write your script. Mm -hmm. But he really was all about everybody being there. In retrospect, I think it's because he largely wanted to make sure we were all had the same vision of the show. Absolutely. And um, it was very, very smart. It's really interesting. And, and you hear about it, about that kind of intense uh, collaboration mm-hmm. a few times over the years. And it's always a quality product. I mean, it sounds like the Breaking Bad room works in a similar way. And the Friends room worked that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine part of that was you guys did have quite a bit of freelance writers come through. Like, Next yep. Generation and then the subsequent Star Treks as well were sort of the last bastion of that, which yeah. had been a very popular thing in the It's 70s funny, because the Writers Guild is still, to some degree, really geared toward the freelancers. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, they're, they're, that's not how it works anymore. Yeah, you know. Uh, but yes, Michael Piller always had an eye out to find the next good writer mm-hmm. that he could bring on board. So he was tr- constantly trying out people. Some of them turned out to be great and would join the staff. Most would not. Mm-hmm. Um, and rewriting those scripts would fall to, to us. Right. But he was very generous to freelancers. He had an open submission policy, which I think was the only time it's ever happened where you did not have to have an agent yeah. or be a member of the Writers Guild. Anybody could submit a script to Star Trek The Next Generation. That's how Ron Moore was hired. Really? Oh, I don't think I realized Ron that. submitted a, a script, wrote uh-huh. it on spec, and it, someone read it, recommended it to Pillar, and he was hired. Wow. He submitted on, a whole script. Yeah, it was shot. That's wild. It was filmed. It was an episode called The Bonding. Huh. Uh, Renee Echevarria, who mm-hmm. would spend some time on Star Trek, did that too. Mm-hmm. He, he submitted scripts. So... It caused also a lot of headaches because there were many, many lawsuits from people yeah. who claimed we stole an idea. And it was, you know, sometimes they would just pay those people out, Paramount, because <laughs> sure. it was a hassle. But it was a really, he, Pillar was really, he had an eye for talent. Mm-hmm. And he was very generous with his time and, and stewardship. I, he was a great guy. That's terrific. That's, that's really, again, you, it's not the kind of thing you hear very much anymore. Um, oh, by the way, yeah. he was also could be really uh, an asshole, or at least that's what we thought at the time. Uh, uh, These jerks in their mid-20s, you know, he was our boss. Right. Uh, But I think anybody you ask today Mm -hmm. would say he was the best guy, certainly the best writer I've ever worked with. Oh, that's phenomenal. Uh, What what a way to learn. Did you, and I know this is thinking back uh, 25 years, but... When you were given that opportunity to write that first script with Ron, um, was it something you guys had pitched in the room? I assume it was, it was broken a, in the room. It was, uh, to my recollection, it was actually a rewrite. Oh, okay. uh, a script. It was an episode called Reunion, mm-hmm. season four. It was a big wharf episode. It's the one where Kalard, his girlfriend, gets murdered, and uh, the script was need, needed a page one rewrite. And Pillard gave it to Ron and myself hmm. and and we did a great job. It turned out really good. It was and it was really fun to do. I was mm-hmm. lucky to be doing it with Ron. I'm not sure how I would have done on my own. But what a great entree. Oh, I mean, it was great. Um, just to sit down with with someone and get to do yeah, that. I did trusted. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then he, after that, I got a script on my own, um, which went pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, and then I then they hired me on staff. And then mm-hmm. my next script was really what well, went really well. But then my following script was a disaster. <laughs> uh, Wait, let's uh, let's uh, dig in on that for a second. Um, so the third one you did, you say, went really well. Yeah. It, what what was different about that? Uh, it was called The Game. It was notable for having Wesley Crusher's return to the show and Ashley Judd's first acting role. Oh, my God. Um, playing his girlfriend. That's funny. Um, yeah, I tried to hit on her. And it, it went, <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> I don't even think she saw me. Um, but uh, the um, I just, for some reason... I just, I, I saw, I understood how to write the show, and that, it just all clicked into place, and it was fun to write, and my adage is always fun to write, fun to watch, um, and uh, it just was, and it went over well. People loved it. They, sh- they, they shot it. I was like, my God, they're <laughs> shooting something that I wrote, um, and then the next script I got was, um, I, I did a terrible job on. Um, and what happened on that one? Well, it's an episode called Conundrum. It was about the crew getting amnesia. I just think I, it was a little out of my range mm-hmm. of uh, trying to write characters who don't remember who they are was just beyond my talents at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was uh, um, rewritten by Joe Minoski, mm-hmm. and it was the last time that, knock on wood, that I would <laughs> that would ha- that I, for whatever reason, it really galvanized me and i just like I, this is never going to happen again that's that's a great lesson um i'm going to figure out a better process mm-hmm. you know but again i was 25 i yeah. mean this was like a <laughs> i had no right to be there you know <laughs> well i mean but it also seems like you were given the opportunity to learn on the job which is an incredible opportunity um it's it's interesting to me that you know Talking about these scripts that work, didn't work, whatever. It was a pretty flexible concept, uh, Next Generation. You know, you were working with some great characters, but it seems like the story could kind of... You could you could tell the sorts of stories that you wanted to tell, and I think this room was sort of known for, or maybe it, it comes down to Pillar, giving the opportunity to people to tell the stories they want to tell. What... What were you interested in? What were you First specific, of all, what what kind of stories did you want to tell? That, uh, very insightful because that's exactly what was going on. Um, what would what would start to happen very quickly? First of all, we did twenty six episodes a year, yeah. which today <laughs> I, I'm doing thirteen episodes a year, and I, I, it's taking me a year to do those thirteen <laughs> episodes. I don't know how we did it, but. It is a brilliant concept, Star Trek, that Gene Roddenberry came up with. It's so elegant and, and simple, but it's anything you mm-hmm. want it to be. It. I saw Star Trek, the way I approached it was as kind of an anthology show. Like mm-hmm. um, Ron Moore gravitated toward the more socio-political type stories and Klingon stories. And mm-hmm. um, uh, some people gravitated toward more emotional, uh, relationship-oriented episodes. I... I as a you know, as a huge Twilight Zone fan and science fiction, uh, avid science fiction reader, um, I gravitated toward kind of high concept, 
um, reality bending stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sensibilities actually were not welcome initially. There was a, I wish, I wish I kept some of these documents. There was a rule list established by Gene oh, of things you were not allowed to do on Next Generation. And all the stories I wanted to do violated those rules. There was a no time travel rule. Gene did not want to do time travel on the show. He thought it strained credulity. Mm-hmm. He No dream sequences. By the way, these were two areas I, I wanted to explore. <laughs> there was a whole list, and I don't remember the rest of the list. Um, I found a way, for instance, my first, I think, truly memorable script. Mm-hmm in terms of episodes that would be remembered, was a time travel script, but I wanted to do time travel, but I I knew I couldn't do it in a way that would be recognizable as time travel. So I did a show about the crew being caught in a time loop, Mm -hmm. Um, a kind of a Groundhog Day thing before Groundhog Day came out. And um, that's the kind of story I'd like to do, you know. Um, But it's funny, I mean, even just listing the episodes that you've listed, these you feel the Twilight Zone influence. That's really neat. If you if you looked at, I mean, if you looked at my episodes of Next Gen, anyway, mm-hmm. they're all they all have some strange angle. Mm-hmm. You know, Riker wakes up in an alien insane asylum, thinking hmm. uh, Enterprise is the delusion. That's just a great. You can, that's just a, a great hook Absolutely. into a story. You know, yeah. uh, that's really interesting. So, just some some nuts and bolts stuff. Um, if Pillar wanted everybody in the room for all of the story breaks and pitches and everything, I assume you guys didn't go to set for your episodes. Well, that's a whole other issue. Uh, <laughs> Rick Berman, there was this divide between, there were two buildings. There was the building that housed production and the building that housed the writers. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowed to see Rick. He was like the Wizard of, of Oz. He was this uh, ominous person that no one had ever really seen or met for uh, the first couple of year, for the first maybe year I was there, oh God. and we weren't allowed to go to the set. Writers weren't allowed to go to the set. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowed to go in the in the editing room. We were just writers. That eventually that would all change. Yeah. Um, but uh, and it, yeah, we didn't. We just stayed in our offices and wrote. Why did Why did it all change? I mean, it seems practical to me to send your writers to set as the caretakers of the episodes. It just it's just not the way it was designed by by really by I think it was more Rick. Hmm. Um, but that all he, I think it relaxed because um, the show was succeeding and hmm. and the scripts were coming out good and Rick suddenly became more of the part of the process and we started to hang out more and. We all became friends, and it just kind of it relaxed. But mm-hmm. um, I never spent any time, none of the writers did, like supervising their episode. Interesting. Um, and then I should have asked uh, early on, were you a Trek fan going in? No, I, you know, Trek wasn't my thing. I made the mistake many years ago of saying that, and uh, <laughs> some fans really attacked me for it. Um, I didn't, of course I knew Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I just wasn't when I was a teenager. There, I was in more of the sci-fi horror. Horror. Mm-hmm. It was just different groups of people. I just wasn't into the show. Yeah. I just, for, for whatever reason. But I had seen it, and I had certainly watched Next Generation. But no, I was not like Ron Moore was a Star Trek fanatic. 
I wasn't, but I think you know, it it that's not a bad thing. No, not it's at just all. Bringing different sensibilities to the show. Absolutely, and I would imagine you know as you moved up through the ranks and then were hiring writers yourself. This you look for a mix of people. You absolutely do. And I, by the way, I became a fan. I'm still a fan <laughs> right. of the show. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, so t- tell me a little bit about spending the years there and and how you moved up and how did things change uh, over the years? Well, you know, I think things really, this is, I can only speak from my narrow perspective, but to me, things changed most seismically when Gene Roddenberry died. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people who were his, quote, people left. Mm-hmm. And Rick, uh, kind of took the reins and felt more whatever it was he became more accessible mm-hmm. and think that to me was a big shift um you know we just worked really hard and um i rose th- uh, it took me a while i mean i didn't really i didn't even have a, a credit on the show for the first couple of years i worked mm-hmm. on it i had writing credits mm-hmm. But it took me a couple of years to get the story editor credit. Sure. And, um, but I was doing a, a good job, so they made me co-producer one year. And then Rick came to Ron and I to write the first movie. And then we, before we knew it, we were writing the finale of Next Gen. And things just kind of took on a life of their own. Yeah. And, um, and it, but I actually didn't start running the show until season five of Voyager. So it, it 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 took 9 years. Yeah. So what did you learn about your process in that time? I mean, you kind of went from doing your own stuff to getting on that train of television and having to write quickly and having to break story with the group. So what I mean, obviously you said you you enjoyed working in the room. Um what else did you like about the process, and what did you figure out about the way that you specifically work? Uh, that's a good question. Look, I learned in by the time it, it by the time it was decided I would take Voyager over. I had learned a tremendous amount by working with all these amazing, experienced people. Mm-hmm. But the I didn't. I like to work in smaller groups. Mm-hmm. I, I like to work with. I'm not. I'm not good with the larger room. I get. It's just too many voices and mm-hmm. it's distracting. I like to work with individual writers. Okay. I enjoy working with individual writers, and um, so I didn't really. Um, you know, I didn't like taking as many pitches, or I. I we took them, but I'd let. I made other writers take the <laughs> pitches. I just. I. Um, so I didn't really sustain that uh, that majorly communal thing. Mm-hmm. I think some writers would probably complain about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas Deep Space Nine with, at the time was going, they were intensely bonded. Those guys, mm-hmm. um, but I just wasn't it just wasn't my style. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. So. <laughs> but uh, well, no, I mean every every showrunner figures out how he wants to run the show. Yeah, right. And um, this is what worked for it. it it's kind of like. Uh, you know, when you're doing 26 episodes a year, uh, you just don't have a lot of time yeah. to 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 be debating stuff. You just got to keep keep it going, mm-hmm. and you know. Well, that's a huge thing that learning to be decisive 
Right. And mm-hmm. you can spend, as you say, I mean, you were there nine years before you had to be the one to make the decision. And by the way, it, 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 it came at the right time. Nine years mm-hmm. may sound like a long time, but running a show is a very, as you know, probably having talked to many, many showrunners, it's, it's, it's a daunting job. Yeah. And so a large part of it is making decisions and just keeping things moving. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping them moving as best you can and making the best product that you can. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're just constantly having to figure stuff out. Yeah. Were there specific challenges to... Uh, it was Deep Space Nine was the first one that you ran? No. Deep, uh, okay. Voyager. Voyager, I, I sorry. Didn't, I, I didn't work on Deep Space Nine. Okay. Sorry. Ron did. Ron Ron I don't know these shows very it's, well. It's, <laughs> please. <laughs> you you talked to enough to. Trek fans. <laughs> Now, your questions are are very interesting. I've never been asked any of these questions. Um, but yeah, I, I am curious about that. You know, like not only is this part of a huge franchise, but you are doing twenty six episodes a year, which again wasn't unusual at the time. But that's a lot of TV to have to make over the course of the season. Um, what were the challenges specific to Voyager? Um, I think Voyager. Um, It was too similar to next generation, and I mean, it, what you fall, sometimes you fall into these familiar patterns mm-hmm. of storytelling. Hmm. You know, and how so? I'm, again, I'm not familiar well, enough okay. with either. It's a, to... it's a new ship and a new captain and a new crew. Okay, and it, you know, it's all. I think it was a good idea to. The concept was it's lost in space, mm-hmm. so you don't have any of the familiar aliens or, or you know continuity to fall on mm-hmm. but the challenge was to keep to keep it fresh and to, to, to pay off the promise of the of everything and I don't I think Voyager did some excellent episodes its first couple seasons but it I don't think it the show took off till the character seven of nine was brought on why is that because it didn't have a defining villain hmm. and it didn't have a defining Star Trek character and what I mean by that is although the captain needed a foil. Mm-hmm. This is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Kirk had Spock. Data, I mean, Picard had Data. Janeway didn't really have anybody. Um, and she needed a project. And we needed a character who was uh, that half-human, half-alien thing. That, mm-hmm. that And... Um, we needed a villain on the show, and the, so we decided uh, to do the Borg and and make the Borg a huge part of the show, and um, have this Borg character on board. Hmm. I think it galvanized the show. Some people would say it ruined the show. I strongly disagree. I think it made the show. Yeah. And Jerry Ryan did a great job playing the role. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that was one of the first major contributions I made, aside from writing Voyager, was the character of hmm. Seven of Nine. Um, and uh, I had the idea to make put a board character on the show, and Rick Berman said, "Why not make her a babe?" Uh, <laughs> I don't think it hurt the show. I don't think so. But there is something to, and and again, you would know you were there inside. There's something to that introducing that character and knowing it's the right move because you feel like, oh, now I this whole world of story is opened up to me. Mm-hmm. I I could do I could do. You know, a hundred more of these. That's right. Because of this shift. That's exactly right. Um, 
That's that's right. Were you still exploring the themes or the kinds of storytelling that you yeah. had been interested in five years earlier? Uh, more than ever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I was more. I just had skills now that, uh, and I knew how to make Star Trek. I knew mm-hmm. how to write Star Trek. I knew how to make produce the show better. I, I actually think Voyager has is a better looking show with just better production values um, than Next Generation. Yeah. So what? Let, let's dig a little deeper on that. What What did you learn about producing the show better? What can you tell people who are maybe going to run their own shows this year? Well, I think I learned how to maximize the production and what was important and what wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. I could take a visual effects budget that was $100,000 over, and I just knew where to cut it. Mm-hmm. I knew what was important to tell the story mm-hmm. and, and give it scope. You just These things start to become instinctive after a while. Um, and... I was heavily involved in production. I probably more than any of the other writers mm-hmm. on the show. I I liked to be involved in how the shows were prepped and and made. Um, but on Voyager, I it, particularly season five, my first year doing it, mm-hmm. um, I think was some of my personal best work on Star Trek. That's great. Um, there were it, I just kind of let loose. Now, I burned out I in season six. I remember the day and place and, and episode that I kind of flamed out. Really? Like what I, happened? I just hit a wall. I just yeah. was exhausted. I'd been doing it for ten and a half years. Now, by the way, I would stay with the franchise for five more years. <laughs> One could argue I probably should have left. Uh, but I just, I just burned out, mm-hmm. and I was trying to figure out a story, and I'm just like, I, I, can't, I don't know that I can keep going. Wow. The next incarnation of the show, I and in fact, I left the show. Oh, you did that year. Yeah, I just was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Was it? Was it the show? Was it being you know part of this thing for ten it was years? Or physical, was it just? It was yeah. mental exhaustion, and I just had given the show everything I could. Yeah. So, um, so I did actually walk away mm-hmm. from it. This is not a story I've told, and I doubt anyone's really all that interested, but. Yeah, I I just was like I, I told I told I just left. I mean, I I stayed because another Star Trek show was being invented, as it turns out, and I was part of that. But, um, <laughs> I did leave the show. I, I and I'm glad I did because I had nothing left to give. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That can I I can understand how that can happen. So you'll burn out on this podcast one day. Oh, it's done. Oh, it might be happening right now. <laughs> Great, I'm honored. Yeah. Um, what did you do in that time? And let me ask you, as sort of part of that. You know, you had been part of this franchise for 10 years. Did you ever worry, this is my life? You know, as much as you had sort of figured out how this show works, you would figured out how this show works. Definitely. I mean, on the one hand, we all knew how lucky we were mm-hmm. to be working on a show with no interference from the studio, by the way. Oh, really? We were left completely alone wow. to do what... And, and think about it, as you said earlier... You could do anything you wanted on the show. Like, literally, anything you thought up that seemed like a decent story, you could do. It was... By the way, I miss it terribly. I miss Star Trek. I, You know? um, But at the same time, you know, when when I'd been working on it for about 15 years and had done nothing else, except as a couple... You know, I did a couple of action movies Mm -hmm. that did pretty well, but... 
in television, yeah. man, uh, you know, it was it was scary. You know, I and the first um, show that I did uh, after Star Trek was bombed. You mm-hmm. know, it was, a, and that was your own show, right? Well, was I was brought created? in to run. Oh. I was brought in to. Um, rewrite the pilot and run the show. Okay. It was a CBS science fiction show. It, was a, it, it just was a mess. <laughs> what was that show? It's called Threshold. Okay. It starred uh, Carlo Gugino and mm-hmm. and um, yeah, Peter Peter Dinklage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, th- without question, I think all of us, those core writers, were nervous. Now, the first one to, f- to kind of fly the coop was Ron Moore. Mm-hmm. And eventually he did Battlestar Galactica. So right. we were like, okay, Ron did all right. Right. You well, know. there was some time in between there. There too, was, where, there was, know, there were, yeah. You kind of have to there. figure out where you fit in the TV landscape after spending yeah. 15 now, years in this I'm this happy world. to report that though it did take time, we all ended up okay. Right, you know, sure. Brian Fuller, Ron. Yeah. And, um, and all the others, everybody's working. Yeah. Um, were you were you ever concerned about being stuck in sci-fi, or was that no affording you the opportunity? To no, because I love science now? fiction. Okay, I mean I love it, and I mean I, I'm also lucky now. I love horror. Mm-hmm. Horror is probably my first love, yeah. and I did a lot of horror on Star Trek. That's the great thing about the show. That's cool. I mean, it could be a horror episode, a western episode, a, a, a romantic episode. It's just. It should be back on television, frankly. <laughs> what are we waiting for? I, ask CBS. Well, I guess it's in J.J. Ask, Abrams' hands now. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whose hands it's in. Um, was the, you did do a couple of features concurrent with uh, the Trek stuff. Was that, a, was that a pointed attempt to go and just do something else creatively? Or did it, it was. just make sense? Well, Ron and I wrote a couple Star Trek movies. One good one, one not so good one. <laughs> what was the good one what was uh, the not so good one? The good one was called Star Trek First Contact, mm-hmm. about the Borg. And the second, the, But the first one we did was called Star Trek Generations, which was kind of a Kirk Picard crossover, mm-hmm. which was... It's just not great. Um, <laughs> what, what didn't work about it? I'm always curious, because features seem like... So out of the writer's control so often. Well, in this case, it's a little different because it was the same group of people making it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the, 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 it was just a, 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 the idea of passing the baton from Kirk and Picard uh, didn't have, I think, a strong enough concept behind it on, mm-hmm. a, on a story level. And um, it just it just was kind of laid there. I felt, and it had some great sequences in it, but it just wasn't working. And we learned a lot of lessons. We all, none of us had done a movie before, sure. And we took those lessons to the next movie, which was a very good Star Trek movie. That's great. Um, feature, right? You mentioned the difference. You know, I stopped writing movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Mission Impossible Two with Ron. We mm-hmm. worked on that for several months. Um, the last movie I did was the first Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. I did the production rewrite on that. And I did some rewriting on some other films here and there, but it was uh, it's when you come out of TV where you're you're you know the showrunner is the auteur of television, yeah. but the writer on in, in movies at least from my experience it was dreadful mm-hmm. it, it sucked. Um, 
you, you were being told one thing by the producers and another thing by the studio, and um, you just you were being pulled like taffy and replaced. Yeah, event. You know, you knew at some point <laughs> other writers were going to come in. By the way, I don't have an issue with that. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to have anything to do with it. Right. Um, and so I, I, I made a conscious decision to stop writing movies. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as I love movies and love going to movies, um, I, I'm gonna. I'll only do it if I'm in a, a position to have a little more control. Yeah, see the thing all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Tell the story you want to tell. I mean, it seems like you're such a story-oriented uh, writer. Um, and it, it feels like even going back to what you were saying about getting involved with production, I think you smartly saw that as an extension of telling the story and telling it well. Um, are there is there story advice that you can give to aspiring writers? Um, get other opinions. I mean, even if you're if you're you're writing on spec on your own. If you have a friend whose opinion you trust, show them your material. Mm-hmm. You know, discuss ideas. Don't do it in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, How do you like to break story? Usually with um, a small group, okay. either just the writer or writers. Um, sometimes with the whole room at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you mentioned production. You know, the other thing I would say is the this as as fundamentally important as the script is the rewrite never ends Mm -hmm. so Hmm. you write your script you're happy with it you start shooting well the shoot the filmmaking part of it is crucial and that you got if you can be part of it there's going to be rewriting happening then and then to me the editing process Mm -hmm. i call it the final rewrite because major things can happen in there so um that's how I approach show running is uh, I guess you would call it at the risk of sounding new age a holistic approach yeah it's all of a piece mm-hmm. and it doesn't end you know it's, we're not just executing the script that was written right. we're it's it's a whole thing works together yeah you know uh, that's interesting to hear I mean considering what you said about the early years of next generation when you really would just hand off the script that's right um, and, and, and by the way literally I, I would watch it on the air yeah that's, that's the so next, crazy yeah um, but those those scripts had to be airtight, and I guess that's what having the collaboration of the whole room gave. Yeah, oh, they uh, were they were airtight, and you know, look, it, it, it was Star Trek. It was a set bound show, right? With the yeah. one group of characters, and it was a lot of weren't a lot of variants. Yeah, yeah. the parameters sort of yeah. helped helped it helped the it. process. Yeah. Uh, what do your scripts look like? Do you tend to? Write a lot of stage direction. What, what, my this is a real kind of deep cut question. No, I appreciate it. I, th- these would be the questions I would ask. Um, <laughs> my scripts are very lean. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't write a lot of description. Mm-hmm. I, it, uh, if if it's on the page, it should have a purpose. Is is it a is it a prop? Is it a character? Is it why you write? You know, I'm not into. Um, it's not. It's a script. It's it's like a blueprint for a house. Yeah. You know, you're not going to put lampshade designs on your blueprint <laughs> or rugs, right? It should be, um, I mean, I hope it has a little bit of flair to it, but I really, they're, it's very, uh, very um, concise. Mm-hmm. It's practical. And incisive, yeah, mm-hmm. practical. Um, and 
as we sort of move forward autobiographically, um, I'm always curious about, like, you went to run Threshold. I know you were involved with Terra Nova. Um, and you've worked on other people's shows uh, mm-hmm. plenty. Is it hard? Let me. Never mind, is it hard? <laughs> how do you start? How do you make yourself care about someone else's project? Well, it's a very good question. Um, the the first major sh- I did this t- threshold show, which was really not my show. Mm-hmm. I inherited it, and and I think the show suffered because I didn't. It suffered largely because CBS wasn't really interested in doing science fiction at the time. <laughs> um, but uh, I was really into it. A great example would be that I left Paramount and went to Fox, and I the first show I did was Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you make yourself care about Twenty Four? Well, I love I, I I loved the show, mm-hmm. and I I, I all, it was like I didn't know how they wrote it. Here again, to me, how they plotted this stuff, how they came up with this stuff, was like learning a magic trick, how a magic so trick funny. was done. So what season did you join? Seven. I just did seven and eight, the last okay. two. Oh, wow. And um, I loved it. I mm-hmm. loved that show. And I learned. I felt like I was in a learning environment again for the first time and in a long time and working with amazing writers. Um, you... And we all saw, you know, when everyone sees the same show and hmm. is passionate about the show, it shows. Now, after 24, I had the only truly awful experience of my career, and that was, you mentioned Terra Nova. Yeah. What a, I mean, it was... <laughs> we, we've had, you are the last of the Terra Nova writers, oh. by the way. We've had everyone else, so we've heard every angle oh. on this horrible story. It's a terrible but story. But yours. <laughs> well, my angle is, I... I just signed. I just signed an overall deal with Fox, and which means mm-hmm. uh, they own me, like <laughs> a slave. Um, but uh, so there's there was this project called Terra Nova that the lovely Kelly Marcel had invented, uh, who's a friend of mine now. Mm-hmm. But the first time they came to me with it was like three years earlier. They and all it was was like a, a pitch document, and I read it. And I said to my agent, I have no interest in this. This is the most cockamamie, uh, strained idea I've ever heard. You know, a dystopian future that they need to save so they build a time machine that only goes back to the Cretaceous era. Um, I mean, it's just like it's tormented, this idea. So I, I passed on it. Like a year and a half later, uh, Matt Chernus, who was a network exec at Fox, who now runs WGN, the show my, my Salem show is sent came to me with this fucking Terra Nova script, uh, but it was a script now, and it was and was it uh, Kelly's script? It was Kelly and Craig Silverstein. Okay, had ma- I think taken a pass at yeah. it, and they were like, you know, will you look at this and read the Bible that Craig wrote? And I just I I, I just said I can't. I'm not interested in this. This I don't see this. How a how will you? It's unproducible. And I just don't like the idea. Then I signed this overall deal, and I get a call from um, Jennifer Salky, mm-hmm. um, who was running drama at the, at the time, saying, there's a project we'd like you to do. And it was this Terra Nova thing. But at this point now, Steven Spielberg was attached. 
as a producer. And she's like, we'd, we'd like you to meet with Stephen in, in, in three days and pitch your take on the show. Now, you don't have to do it, mm-hmm. she said. But that meant, I mean, I knew I had to do this. Yeah. Remember, I, you're indentured to us. And also, I was like, wow, Steven Spielberg. I get to yeah. go meet Steven Spielberg <laughs> uh, and maybe work with Steven Spielberg. Which, by the way, is the only positive aspect of this whole experience was was meeting Steven Spielberg, which was amazing. Oh, that's great. Um, that's nice to hear. And uh, But it was, a, I, I think, a very unwieldy concept. Mm-hmm. And nobody saw the same show. Uh, the show that the network saw, the studio, and Steven Spielberg all saw different shows. Mm-hmm. And I, as the showrunner, actually had no vision for the show. <laughs> I didn't care. I didn't want to be there. I mean, I hope I can speak candidly about this uh, in, because several years have gone by. Yeah. I did the best job that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did. But I think I failed. I failed. Um, and, well, it, and, and, the, and the bulk of the blame really falls on my shoulders. You mm-hmm. know, I had, It was my job to consolidate the various differences into a single vision. But you know, I just struggled myself with the with the of show, course. and we went through many, many production delays, and two different, many, many different writers came in and out of that door. It was absurd. I mean, I'm embarrassed, to be quite honest. Um, well, it seems like you. I mean, your approach to it was smart in that you didn't know what the show was. You had all of these masters to answer to. And you approach it as a job. Like I gotta, I gotta well, run this thing. I tried to do the best I can. Uh, believe me, look, I, I wanted to make a good show. I wanted to make a good show for Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, um, and I wanted to please my bosses at Fox, but it just—I don't think the concept really just. Yeah. If you watch, if you or one of the twelve people who have seen the show, <laughs> uh, you'll see why it doesn't quite work. Yeah. Well, and I will say, you know... Now, having said that, yeah. it started to work, I think, in the latter part of the first season. <laughs> and I do think I do think the show could have gone on. Mm-hmm. I really do. And I think maybe um, the powers that be wish they had picked up the show. Mm-hmm. You know, by the, by the end, I wanted the show to get picked mm-hmm. up. I was starting to get invested well, in great. it. But, well, uh, it does, I mean, oftentimes it does take... Working in it to but figure in this, out, what but in this environment, in this competitive television environment, yeah. now, you know, yeah, Next Generation took a couple of years. I mean, that's just not happening now, yeah. you know. Yeah. And Terra Nova had it just it was very expensive, yeah. and it needed to do better. Well, I think the yeah. studio was very happy with the show, and it was oh, doing well, good business for them. I think mm-hmm. it was more the network. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems like there was this, and if I can let you off the hook at all, it seems like there was an escalation of commitment from people who were excited. But by the way, know what it was. I'm going to tell you something else that was impossible about that situation. And again, it's a responsibility. I take full responsibility, mm-hmm. but it was the idea of straight to series was not something that was discussed. This was a new idea. Yeah. And it was very, very novel that they committed to go straight to 13. And yeah, that's true. so I was looking at a situation where I had to rewrite the pilot and turn it into a two-hour, uh, didn't uh, cast it, hire writing staff, prep, Start breaking stories for a show that hasn't even fucking been shot yet or cast. 
you're trying to do two things that have are normally segregated yeah. um, all at the same time. Now, disaster. Good news is I learned many lessons, so that <laughs> when I so that when my show Salem got ordered to straight to series, yeah. I knew exactly what to do and what not to do and went great so so what was that what did you figure out from that experience that you brought to salem um well aside from the fact that i love salem mm-hmm. um sure. and i loved it from the moment i heard the idea you're emotionally uh, invested to it, begin with be, well it counts for a lot but yeah. but also just you know just where i'm putting my time and how you're how you're just the whole process it's hard to describe it's mm-hmm. it's you know um it's uh, and also, you know, perhaps the biggest other difference is everybody on Salem saw the same show, mm-hmm. the network and the studio and me, and um, that I think things just went smoother. Hmm. Well, and it seems like I mean you co-created the show, yeah. yes. Um, and was it an idea that was brought to you, and then uh, um, yeah, you and your collaborator I, worked on it together. I was just coming off Terra Nova and thinking I would probably never work again. <laughs> And uh, and Bert Salky, a good friend of mine, who's uh, was running is running Fox Twenty One, the cable division of Fox, mm-hmm. called me out of the blue and said, "You know, we have this writer who's never done TV, mm-hmm. and it, it has this cool idea about the Salem witch trials. Would you be interested?" And I, I, I said yes. And I read this document that this my very good friend Adam Simon wrote and it was just it was brilliant it was Mm. evocative it was about the Salem witch trials but witches were real and they were running the trials and I'm just like wow there's a great show here cool um and a year later we were making it that's amazing so it was past the pitch stage by that point so you guys didn't have to really pitch it right no no we had to no Adam and I uh, had to create what the show was sure um and uh, go pitch it, and we pitch, oh, okay. and we pitch it to Stars and FX, and they both wanted it. FX got it. We wrote a pilot for FX, and they decided not to make it because Ryan Murphy decided he was doing Witches in oh, season sure. three of American Horror Story. Best thing that ever happened to us because Fox, the studio, got the, the script, and we snuck it to WGN, and they snapped it up, hmm. and um, and it's. You know, and I'm just wrapping up season two. Yeah, and it's it, a good show. It, it is a good show. Um, and they they snatched it up with this full season order. Yeah. Right? Well, and in order to take it off the market, I think the uh, studio kind of they they ordered it for thirteen. And they yeah. they I mean they Matt Chernus and Peter Ligori they they committed. They're yeah. like this is going to be our flagship show, yeah. and they put. A lot behind it, a lot of marketing and um, mm-hmm. a lot of smart marketing. Had you guys broken a season's worth of story at that point? No, we we had we knew from working out this the the pitch. Actually, we knew all the the, the basic moves of season mm-hmm. one. We knew how it was very importantly how it was going to end. We didn't have much for season two, but we mm-hmm. we had season, the DNA of season one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you run this show in the same way? Uh, that you discovered you enjoy running with these small groups of yeah. writers. Yeah, we. Uh, I start out with everybody, but mm-hmm. then I do send writers to set. That's great. Um, it's important for the writer. It's yeah. important for the actors and the, and the filmmakers um, to have the writer there. So 
once we've gotten the season going, the whole place breaks apart. Some, everybody's doing, someone's writing, someone's in Louisiana. Right. There's no more room. Right. And and I think it's just fine. Oh sure, I mean it's clearly working. I mean the show is yeah. really good. No, no, it's 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 going good. Good. Yeah. Uh, and you're also involved. Oh, we should say the finale airs June twenty eighth. June twenty eighth. Okay, twenty eighth. Yeah. Um, and people, I know they rerun it all the time, so mm-hmm. so you can catch up on season two. Yeah. Um, and you're also involved in Cosmos. Yeah, around, which is really interesting. Yeah, at the same uh, about the same time that I started Salem. Um, I started working on Cosmos. And what are your it was another kind of cold call really? that came in from my friend Seth McFarlane, who was hugely responsible for getting Cosmos on Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, called and said, "You know, would would you be interested in coming in and helping get this thing going?" <laughs> uh, my responsibility was kind of showrunnery. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I Andrean was is the boss. She's you know she wrote the show i helped her develop the scripts um most of which had been written into a a more narrative format Mm -hmm. um i directed the show that's great uh, um and um really was involved in every aspect nice i i did want to ask because you said you also directed the uh the finale finale. yeah this this season's finale i mean it it seems a logical extension of what you like doing it seems another every writer storytelling it's it's to me it's hard for me to segregate writing directing and editing Mm -hmm. and sound which is my favorite part of the whole process is sound really Um, why because it all comes together in the sound mix. It's just the show just knits together, and sound is so sounds. I mean, look, sounds really important. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, and music and all that stuff. It's just fun because mm-hmm. you're done with the writing and you're done with all the most of it, and yeah. now you just have to do this, yeah. and then you're done. But uh, it's all part of the process, and for me, you know, so um, directing. Is um, I think every writer should do it hmm. if they can, um, and I want to do more. I, w- I would like to do more of it. It's really a lot of fun. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll wrap up as we always do, just by asking you what you are watching on television. What are you getting excited about? What are you talking about with your friends, family, room? Hannibal. About? Yeah. Right. Um, great show. Love it. It's it's an exquisitely made show. Yeah. And it's Brian is, you know, I always, I sometimes say that uh, writers will find that show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's David Chase with The Sopranos. It's Ron Moore with Battlestar Galactica. It's Brian with Hannibal. Like, I think so. It, it's their defining show, yeah. you know, and it's a, it's just amazing. I, I aspire to be as good as Hannibal. <laughs> um and I, you know, I watch some really bad reality. Well, not really. I watch a lot of the Food Network for some reason. I don't cook. I don't cook, and I'm not a foodie. I think it really? just gets me out of. It just gets gets me in, into a different headspace. What about you? What are your aspirations? <laughs> what? What do you? What do Nobody you? Nobody asked me this. Well, what? Well, you're doing this podcast. What's next for you? Uh, we're trying to sell some shows this year. Uh, we took, my partner and I took a couple years off. We're working on an animated show for kids, Puss in Boots, which is on Netflix and oh, for DreamWorks. Great. Uh, so it's a great day job. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, so this has taught us a lot about how shows work because we're banging out two scripts a month for them. Um, 
but it also means we've taken a couple of years off mm. of staffing and selling, and so we're excited to go out and sell some comedies this year. Cool. Yeah. Well, awesome. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 